White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made him 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle, long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. It seems like kids are made for water. They dive and splash and swim, like they'll never need to come up for air. If only that were true. Each year, drowning is a leading cause of death for young kids. So until they grow gills, swimming lessons, fences, and supervision help keep kids safe. Learn more at poolsafely.gov. Welcome back to the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz, the Prospector-in-Chief. You may know me as Prospect Jesus on Twitter, all that good stuff. I'm going to cut the bullshit short. We're going to get right into it today. We have the Brave system to talk about. We have a lot to talk about as well. In addition to my main man, Lance, on the podcast today, I also have uh, a returning guest. I think you're maybe the second returning guest in the history of the show, but I'm not so sure about that. That is uh, Jason Woodell of Jason at the Game uh, prospectstorm.com, uh, prospects1500.com. Jason, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Not too doing bad. Well. Not too bad. Lance. Good to be the first at something, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Lance, I'm sorry. I had, I had to be polite to our guest and oh, welcome course, first. Worry. Is that okay? Oh, obviously, man. Don't worry. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. How's everyone doing? I mean, I'm, I'm back from the winter meeting, so, uh, mm. I've been out about out, out about in the field and uh, it's been a lot of fun. A little tired, so if I make any mistakes today, you gotta you gotta give me a a pass. But I'm I'm really stoked. Brave system is unbelievably deep, and uh, I mean we we have notes here, and we were trying to pre-show here, kind of format what we were gonna do, and it's just like, man, the pitching is just unbelievable. I was getting into like your between 10 and 15 on your list, Ralph, and it's just, geez, some of those guys are top six, top seven in other um, prospect lists for teams. And it's just wild. I, I love this. This is going to be a great talk. Yeah. It's almost like two systems we're going to be talking about today. Um, yeah. You know, there's like the front end of the system, <laughs> which is yeah. like, uh, they're kind of like a major league team already, you know, like it, in the right circumstance, like they could potentially be a major league team if there was no such thing as like, you know, service time clocks and none of that stuff was a concern. They, they, <laughs> half these guys are probably already the up. I mean, seriously, they're they're better than some of the replacement level garbage that they already have. Um, but I wanted to hear about the winter meetings for a second, Lance. Sure. Man. What 
so hit me it's, with it's, some of your, your big moments the in the lawyer meetings. Yeah, so it, it's kind of nuts down there. I got to say, like, I don't know what expectations I had going in, but when I got down there, it was like Sunday was a little slow. Monday, I was getting acclimated. Tuesday was like crazy busy. And then Wednesday, I just kind of I started getting the feels because I was having so much fun. I had to leave a little bit early. I didn't get to see the Rule 5 draft, which happened on Thursday. I didn't get to see any of that. But, uh, man, it was nuts. My biggest uh, – the, the biggest highlight of it was talking to Jim Callis probably. I actually saw him in this coffee shop that um, is kind of set up. So if anyone watches MLB Network, they have the set. And in the background of the set is the main bar. So I'm sure you saw a lot of people walking around in the background there. That was like the main central bar that at the end of each night, everyone would kind of end up at. And it was, it was very, very crowded. There was, there was former major league talent. I saw Cliff Floyd, Harold Reynolds, Oswald, Kyle Schwarber was there. Just, it was wild. Just you turn left and right and you're seeing anyone and everyone. And it was, it was nuts. But yeah, I talked to Cal. I saw him in this coffee shop. I had to, I had to go up to him because I don't, I didn't recognize a lot of faces, but for some reason, I recognized Callis and uh, I went up and waited for him to finish with someone else. And I talked to little Padres prospects with him. And in the back of my mind, I was down there repping collegiate baseball scouting network. And I was like, you know what? I got to sit down with him and talk uh, 2018 draft prospects. So we got into a really, really good chat. Um, we went, we actually sat down with him. I got some time, like 30, 45 minutes. We ran through basically the top 10 list. MLB.com has up for 2018 and really dug into some of the guys like Kumar Rocker, Brady Singer, uh, clinic and all those other talents that I think, are going to become very relevant to a lot of you who are dynasty leaguers and, and, you know, get as, as excited as I know the three of us do um, come draft season in June. So, uh, man, it was a lot of fun. That was a good one. You know, Saris, I talked to a little bit. Um, it was just great. Overall. Great. Um, I, I won't hold it up too much here, but yeah, good time. If you have any questions in specific, hit me with them, but yeah, man, it's all a blur. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Um, yeah, I wish I was in Orlando. It's It's been 10 degrees here in Boston for like the <laughs> yeah. last three days. So um, I actually walked to my car this morning uh, or excuse me, uh, this evening when I got out of work. And it's a short, you know, maybe like not even a quarter of a mile to my car. And my hands were honestly like frozen because I didn't have mittens on. And, and it's usually not this cold in December. Yeah, yeah it's tough. It's I don't know. This is the time of year where I'm like, why do I live in a place where I can't yeah. feel my face when I walk outside? This doesn't make it's been sense. cold in Florida this past week. It was about 55 <laughs> degrees. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> yeah, I was walking around in short sleeves down there, and I was like, oh, 55, this is great. <laughs> yeah. I'm recording die. in my basement right now, and it's 40, you know? Like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you, have the, you have a winter coat on, Ralph. I can see. It's unbelievable. <laughs> oh, no. It's, yeah, no, it's not that I know. I'm joking with you. <laughs> I don't live in a shack. Um, <laughs> you know what, though? Let's Let's sort of briefly touch on – the Miami Marlins and and I guess the the travesty that's that's taken place over the last week plus. D Gordon's moved, uh, Ozuna's moved to the Cardinals. Stanton's obviously moved to the Yankees. Um, they've gotten back. Uh, I mean, a handful of guys, I guess you could say, who are like back end top one hundred guys, right? I mean, I, I you know, uh, Jorge Guzman was in the back end of my top one hundred. Um, I, I'm sure there's some people who love Sandy Alcantara. I don't happen to be one of them. Uh, Zach Galen, um, I guess Magnus Sierra, maybe in a reality sense, is probably a top 100 guy just because the defense is, is very good. But, you know, I think he's he's pretty much like Jared Dyson, more or less. Um, I was going to say, Jason, I, I, I know you're down in Florida. Um, what's sort of the take there? I mean, do you know any Marlins fans? I, are they upset? Are they are they happy for rebuilding? I wouldn't be, but <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know any Marlins fans. Uh, 
but I can say that in Tampa, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, Hey, look at the Marlins. The Marlins are, <laughs> the Marlins are just doing Marlins things again. You know, um, <clears throat> poor Christian Yelich though. I think he signs yeah. that team friendly deal. He's got five more years at I think 50 some million and he signed it to play with Stanton and Ozuna and all those young guys coming up. Yep. And they've effectively just torn everything apart. I mean, this guy has to go into Jeter and say, get me out of here, right? I mean, it's going to be the prime. He's going to be through his prime by the time that contract is over. Yeah, I, I would imagine. Um, but the problem is I don't I don't trust Derek Jeter to get or whoever's making baseball decisions there. Because I'm, I'm – is it Derek Jeter? I'm not convinced that it's, it's necessarily not, Derek Jeter. I'm definitely not. Yeah, that's the one thing. I think he's <laughs> scapegoated to some extent in this. I'm not like a Yankee fan or Yankee homer or anything. No, no, no. But, it's just interesting to me. You know, it's, it's just easy to scapegoat him because not other people know the GM Hill. So it's like one of those things. I don't know. I know Jeter owns like 4%. I know that it wasn't a lot of his money, but I, I, I doubt that. Him. <laughs> I, yeah, 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 as a Red Sox hat. But I, I don't know. It's just like, I, I really don't know. Like, it's one of those things. Like, it's just, I mean, I just listen to everyone scapegoating, but there's got to be more to it. I mean, Jason, what do you think, well, man? Well, from what I heard, I heard that the ownership group came in at about a $250 million defi- deficit. Mm-hmm. So, yes. so then it it makes sense that basically they're just going to give everyone away. And if you can take the majority of the contract, then you can pretty much have them. I think Yelich is going to be tough to move because they don't have to move him. And so they can hold out for those. You know, really, he's I think he's worthy of three top 100 guys you got to get back. But the guys that they've gotten back, I'm I'm with you on Alcantara and Guzman. I think Alcantara ends up middle relief. And <clears throat> I think Guzman does have a chance to be a a, a, a rotational starter. Um, but that's that's it. You know, I can't really get too excited about any anybody that they've gotten. They've moved a guy that hit 59 home runs and a guy that hit 37 home runs. So I just, I, I, I get that it's cash, cash rules, everything around me. So, but damn, you can't get anything better. That's what, that's what I don't understand. And I think that's, that's my major problem with what's going on is, is like the Stanton thing. Fine. They also got back Starling Castro. Um, It's not a, it's, it's obviously not a a great deal. Um, I'm higher on Guzman than other people, so maybe I don't view it as negatively. And there's, there was a huge chunk of cash attached to the player. There was also a no-trade clause. It was limited places that could take him, that would want him, that he was willing to go to. So I think there was just a really narrow window, and they sort of were back into a corner there. So um, I, I, the Ozuna one, to me, is egregious, because I don't, I don't think they got back enough of a return. Um, and I don't think I've read anybody that, that thinks that now, Lance, I want to kick it back yeah. to you because you're, I know you're a Cardinals fan as sure. well. Um, sure. so, yeah, I'll say take, like, man? I mean, I agree. Like if you're, if you're a Marlins fan, I think you have to be more upset with the Ozuna trade because he has got yeah. another two years of control or whatever. And he goes unrestricted. But I, I, I think that I, I agree with Jason in saying Alcantara probably ends up middle relief, but if you're an Alcantara owner in a league, you might just kind of toss him to the side. I don't think I would do that, actually. This might be a hot, hotter taker, one that you're not seeing a lot. But he's going back to Miami. Miami has all the incentive in the world to make that kid a starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. And, like, I get that maybe he doesn't have the stuff right now. But, man, it, like, there's no other – I think that if you're talking Alcantara – excuse me, I just butchered his name and I'm a Cardinal fan. Alcantara, personally, like, this is prime for him to become a possible 
you know, ceiling of maybe a three. I mean, but the floor is low. The floor is that middle relief. You don't see that a lot where you have a, the ceiling that's kind of that maybe three-ish. I Maybe a fringe two. I think that it is there just from what I've seen of him because he's always had that really, really good fastball. But, I mean, yeah, that's the short spiel on mine. Sierra, I think, is interesting too. Definitely not kind of a big fantasy asset, but he had, he had some success with the Cardinals on the major league level. I don't think – I think that that was actually probably the one piece of – of anything that kind of went under the radar because there was some buzz around him in season, actually, when he was getting some playing time mm. um, and he, he looked okay. He's got speed. He's kind of more defensive guy, but I, I think that was a sneaky, interesting piece. I was actually hoping because when they broke it and said that the Cardinals gave up lesser prospects, I was talking to an individual who I think covers Cardinals prospects online. And he was saying, Oh, it's gotta be probably Bader uh, or, or Rosarena or uh, Alcantara or excuse me, or Sierra. And I was like, I don't know if they're saying lesser, like I know Sierra's top five on a lot of lists, but I, I guess he kind of just got thrown under the bus. But I mean, Alcantara stock, I actually might take it up just a little bit. I know it's a terrible situation, but for his personal development as a pitcher, as a starting pitcher, particularly, I think it goes up. I don't know if you guys agree with that. Yeah, I I 100 percent agree with that on Alcantara. I think that it's only beneficial to him. Um, Bush is a pretty pitcher friendly environment, but yeah. obviously Miami is even friendlier. And there's some pretty good ballparks uh, in that division as well. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's probably good for his development. And they, they're aggressive with players, and they're going to have to fill some spots at the major league level. I think it bumps up Sierra a little bit, too. I think it makes it more interesting in a deeper league. Um, but let's, uh, let's talk about, before we jump into the Braves, the last big topic. Two things have sort of happened on the Otani front since we covered it last week and then released something after Otani then signed with the angels, which obviously happened last Friday. So uh, time of listening to this, it's at least been a week since he signed. Then reports surfaced that he has a grade one brain of the UCL. I'm going to kick this one right to Jason because I know uh, he sort of teased it out to his followers on Twitter uh, before the show, dropped some information in terms of the, uh, the, the journal of sports medicine, if I'm not mistaken, um, Jason, why don't, why don't you sort of jump into your take on uh, the Otani situation with the elbow? Well, I think it warrants mentioning before Yahoo tries to create really a story there that out of nothing. And I guess, you know, they, they need followers and clicks and whatnot. It, it, we should know that every team had this information on him and it was still the fever pitch recruiting effort, full court press that most of the teams put on. So this is nothing new. Um, <clears throat> I guess I could give you guys a quick anatomy lesson if you Yeah, go for it. Want. Go for it, um, yeah. Because I know that we're hearing a lot about PRP. Didn't Kobe Bryant go to Germany to get that? What's going on? Why is, is this a better alternative to surgery? Um, at this point, the science isn't really out there with it. Um, to support that it would be a better option than surgery. However, here's what a couple small studies have shown. So when you tear or when a pitcher tears his, his UCL, his ulnar collateral ligament, um, <clears throat> there can be three levels, grade one, grade two, grade three. Obviously, grade one is, is, is a mild. It's not a partial. I mean, it's not a full tear that would require surgery. <clears throat> so with PRP, uh, doctors will take your own blood out of your body. They will put it through a, um, oh, I forgot the word, the uh, the thing that spins it and separates the uh, the molecules. 
A centrifuge? Is that what it is? Yeah. They put it in a oh. sorry, they put it in a centrifuge and they basically take out all the properties of your blood that have the highest concentration of the elements of healing that you need. And then they inject it into the site. Um, the thing with ligaments, ligaments connect bone to bone. So the UCL will connect your ulna, uh, your uh, humerus to your ulna. And ligaments aren't very vascular, meaning they don't have a big blood supply. It's not like a muscle strain uh, where you can increase circulation to it and promote faster healing. So ligaments will heal a lot slower. The PRP injection is basically taking like all the healing, the good parts of your blood back into injecting it back into that injured site so that it promotes more healing. It allows a lot of those nutrients that the, that the body uses to heal tissues uh, to reach the destination. So <clears throat> what does that mean? Is this some fad science? You know, is it bound to tear? And I think that's the biggest thing. Um, before I got into physical therapy, um, I have always shied away from Tanaka on fantasy because he's got the grade one. It's, it's bound to tear. Mm. And even trying, even when I've inherited him, inherited him on teams, it's been hard to move him because there's the scare of the tear. Now, Otani owners, they might be feeling all of a sudden the, I guess the, uh, the disappointment in finally getting this guy and, and knowing that he has this injury, what's this going to do to his value? Um, I think for me as a fan, I own him in two leagues now. What's this going to do just as a fan to be able to watch a guy go to be a two-way star? So if I can alleviate some of the concerns with what he has going on, I have two studies um, that I looked at that were done in 2017 and 2016. So the first one basically found 34 athletes with a partial thickness UCL tear confirmed on MRI that failed to have two months of non-op treatment and be able to return to play. So they took the time off, they rehabbed, and they failed at being able to return to play. At this point, we would push for surgery when, when, when therapy fails. But these participants in this study all received a PRP injection. Um, at 12 weeks, the average return, 30 to 34 of the athletes had returned to play without any complaints by 12 weeks. Uh, they did a 70-week follow-up study. Some of the um, subjective questionnaires and measurement tools that we use in the clinic, one of them for the elbow and shoulder is the DASH, D-A-S-H. Um, if you've ever had a shoulder injury and gone to PT, you filled out a DASH questionnaire. What we found was not only were they able to return to play, but their, their overall scores uh, improved from 21 to 1. Now, the higher the DASH score, the higher level of disability. So they got down to a 1. The sports module improved from a 69 rating to a 3. So it's like a golf score. The lowest you want, a 0 is optimal. Um, the joint space improved from 28 to 20 millimeters at follow-up, so it was a it was a tighter capsule, meaning that the ligament was not lax. It didn't have give. It was able to stabilize the elbow through that what we call that valgus force 
that uh, pitchers go through on the uh, put pitchers put the elbow through during the uh, late cocking and acceleration phase, and it's that that valgus force which leads to the UCL injury. So they saw an improvement from 28 to 20 millimeters in the joint space. And then the stressed arm versus non-stressed, so non-throwing arm, the, the, um, the discrepancy in uh, joint space improved uh, with, the, with that as well. So generally, baseball pitchers are going to have far more shoulder-like external rotation and UCL laxity in their throwing arm compared to their non-dominant arm. So this study showed that after uh, 70 weeks follow-up, there was e even uh, – better range compared to non-dominant side because your non-dominant arm is going to have a tighter capsule. Only one uh, one athlete in this study had to get Tommy John. So for me, that's very encouraging that there is treatment out there, and it should not scare, uh, I think, fans, Angels fans, um, Otani owners, or people trying to get him. Uh, from acquiring him in your league, I don't think this is going to slow him down. Uh, PRP has has shown to have some pretty decent results, even though it's it's not a lot of case studies and and evidence out there um, regarding that. So, all right, and, and there were a couple of questions that I was wondering too when reading, you know, the the article, and that's is it a treatment that needs to sort of be ongoing? And and the follow up, I guess, to that is like sort of how much downtime. Um, with, the, with these procedures? So generally, um, it can be uh, multiple injections. Um, <clears throat> in, in another study, um, there was uh, 44 baseball players, six pro, 14 college, 24 high school that were treated with it. Uh, 16 of those patients had one injection, six of them had two, and 22 of those patients ended up having three injections. Um, Generally, you're about five weeks downtime once you have the injection. You can still do rehab, but you're not going to be at, at return to throw. Um, once you become asymptomatic with any any elbow pain, then you can start on an interval throwing program. Uh, but generally, five weeks off, and that kind of lines up, you know, with the reports that he had it in October. Um, but he also didn't throw for any teams and put on any tryouts. So these guys knew that going into it, um, that, that he had this. But generally, five weeks, asymptomatic, you can start rehabbing and, and getting into a throwing program. Perfect. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not going to jump into the medical side of things. I knew uh, Jason obviously had uh, a lot more of a background on this to, to speak eloquently uh, about the injury. I will say this. I don't know if it means he hits a little bit more. Uh, then he throws um, and it from everything that, you know, reading the tea leaves here, it doesn't seem like there were too many teams that were scared away. Um, but a lot of that, I'm sure, had a lot to do with the price point. Um, but there still seemed to be uh, a lot of enthusiasm about him and, and potentially what he can do next season. And we've seen we've seen some success with these guys as well. Um, I, in, I think sort of what I got from that article is is the success rate of these procedures um, more or less isn't all that different from probably the return rate of like a Tommy John surgery, which still isn't 100 percent. I know we always sort of like to believe that, but there are a lot of guys that have Tommy John and either it doesn't hold and they end up having multiple. Like I think Brandon Beachy was one of those guys. Chris um, Medlin. 
Medlin was another one. I was going to say there were a few guys in that that sort of crop of Braves pitchers that all fell, which is sort of an, an appropriate segue here. Unless Lance <laughs> has anything else to say about Otani, I think we could probably beat Otani to death. We've now talked about him every single show. So why don't we talk about some Braves prospects? No? Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, so obviously there's been a lot going on here. Um, we did a whole show, Jason and I, uh, before Lance hopped on as my my permanent uh, co-host, we went through all the different penalties, you know, sort of uh, that were left over from the uh, Coppolella era. I know he's now been banned from baseball entirely. I'm going to butcher this name, but they hired uh, GM, who was a former GM of the Toronto Blue Jays. That would be Alex Athopoulos. I said it right that time. I did not add an R. It's Alex Athopoulos. So there we go. I'm going to call him him or A squared going forward. Um, I, it, he kind of inherits about about as good of a situation as you could possibly have. Um, you know, outside of obviously losing, um, you know, however many players is it nine, 10, 13. 13? Yeah, okay, 13, thirteen players. Yeah. I know there's obviously the big names like you know Severino, Maiton, Del Rosario, Soto, Bay, uh, Gutierrez, uh, Contreras, you know, and Perez. It seemed to always be mentioned heavily. Not all those guys have signed as of yet. Uh, a lot of them have already signed, so that's not great. Uh, but it's not like you got left with absolutely nothing. Um, you couldn't have had a more or less a better situation from a farm uh, standpoint and some of the, the young talent at the major league level. Sort of have a leader at the major league level with Freddie Freeman that you know is going to be around. Uh, they can develop these catchers that they have in the system because they have you know Flowers and, and Suzuki effectively coming back next season. Um, and they have sort of a transitional situation with their rotation. And one of the first things I wanted to sort of jump into with you guys is you, we know about all the pitchers that they have. We know what they have at the major league level now. They you know, graduated a couple of guys last year uh, in Sims and in Newcomb. Uh, you know, Julio Tehran is not very old. Neither is uh, Mike Fulton. Fulton never. <laughs> <laughs> The name Fultonevich. Game. Oh, my God. That name is brutal to say. Uh, I'm usually not, I don't have to host and I, I would have to I'd be able to stand back and just call him like faulty, like in a Boston accent. It's stupid. Um, so anyway, that guy faulty. Um, Lance, what do you what do you see long term is going to be? Yeah. Who's going to stay? Who's going to go when we're looking, you know, a few years down the road, we'll say 2020. What do you see the rotation ended up um, being? Yeah, I mean, I think that the one thing I'm most interested about with Anthopolis, I think it's Anthopolis. I feel like there's some Greek nature in me that can pronounce that correctly. I could be completely wrong, but I like the oh, thing. That sounds right. <laughs> but yeah, so the biggest thing for me, I, I'm very interested in this. I was actually listening to Baseball America's podcast on the Braves, and they brought this up, and it really got me thinking. But they were talking about, so Anthopolis comes in, and in the past, the track record of his regime, kind of, you see guys like Thor, Aaron Sanchez, Stroman, who were kind of these later-ish. I mean, Sanchez, I think, was a little bit higher, but, you know, the other two, were, I think, were comp picks. So he's been very good, not necessarily with mm. holding these guys and bringing them through and seeing them through, but picking out the talent. Like, Strom was undersized. He took a shot on him. Thor was not nearly as highly regarded as he is now. But he comes into this system, and my thinking around it is, like, he comes in, how many looks is he going to get at these guys to then discern who he wants to keep and develop long-term? And who does he want to trade away? Because you look at it now, I, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a system that I might even think about saying there's too many pr- pitching prospects here. Like, there's a ton. And it's it's like, I mean, if you want to, I'm a Cardinals fan. If you want to relate this to the Cardinals outfield, like the, 
condensing talent to get better talent. I mean, this is all elite pitching talent, but at some point you look at it and go, you know, can we combo a guy like, uh, you know, Joey Wentz and Freed and try to get someone of the level of Allard or Allard or however you want to say it. But that's my biggest thing. I'm just interested in both your quick perspectives on kind of like he comes in and he looks at this system. Like, is there anyone that jumps out to you that you feel like Anthopolis might be a little bit more willing to trade away, Jason? I mean, it's it's kind of interesting to me. I'm just I, I had a tough time going through the list and trying to find someone like, oh, this is kind of a breed of Anthopolis. Like they could ship and then who he's going to attach himself to. But I feel like at some point, you know, I'm interested to see even by the end of this year, if any of these guys aren't on the team, you know, in the triple A, double A levels. So I, I, what are your thoughts, Jason? I could see um, I could see a guy like Freed or Ian Anderson uh, being packaged, not necessarily to bring somebody back, but it might be attached to Matt Kemp take Matt Kemp off our hands and, and one of those guys um, might make that an attractive piece. Um, I think with Freed, I like what he did in the Arizona fall league. Um, I just don't think that his stuff matches up with some of the other guys in the, uh, in the system. And that, and that's not a knock on his stuff. That just, I think goes to how good and how deep, this uh these pitching prospects are so i could see freed uh being packaged especially after after that hot arizona fall league um to either get someone like a yelich or uh to maybe get someone to take matt kemp off his hands because double a's already come out and said defense is going to win the day um he wants these young pitchers to be able to trust their stuff to throw it over the plate and he wants guys that are going to catch the ball behind it. Hmm. That's I, I almost think about that. I mean, I should pass this to Ralph quick, but that makes me immediately think what you're saying, Jason, that he might be more inclined to keep a guy like Soroka, you know, who's a, who's a probably more of a pitch to contact guy with not going to hover around that 25% carry. We hope some of these other guys can, but that's interesting. That's a very interesting take that maybe if he's relying on that defense more, we see some of these guys with not as much in the strikeout side of things possibly stick with the system. But I, what are your thoughts on that, Ralph? Yeah, I think that I think that you know, um, the Roca probably is the most ready-made of any of the arms in the system. I know Gohara will obviously be you know in the rotation this year. Max Max Fried will will pro- more than likely be in the major league team. I assume will probably be in the rotation. I guess there's a chance he could pitch in relief, but I, I do think he's going to break camp with the Braves. Um, Gohara, I think, is the high upside guy. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, they're they're sort of um, sort of polar opposites <laughs> in a lot of ways. Not, and, yeah. and, and, you know, Gohara's stuff is just absolutely through the roof. Um, but there's some concerns there, I think, just with makeup um, from the physical side of things where Soroka doesn't have any of those concerns, sort of has pinpoint control. Um, his stuff isn't isn't average. It is definitely above average, but it's not. He doesn't have that sort of elite fastball slider combo, um, you know, like that that Gohara has. And I think that, you know, those two guys balance each other well in that rotation. I wonder what they do with Newcomb. Um, You know, Mm. personally, having followed Newcomb for a really, really long time, I I just don't see him long term putting it together and being like a consistent – major league starter he just doesn't throw enough strikes he never has i mean i i, I actually grew up in a, the town next door to nukem i knew I, <laughs> I know his cousin um we were in a band together when we were 15 years old i'm not even <laughs> kidding about that um 
So like I'm I am very aware of Sean Newcomb when 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 he was in Middleborough and you know then you know when he played college ball I believe he was at Hartford and I mean I, I don't know I I think he is an interesting prospect you know he obviously has you know a big breaking ball fastball has velocity on it but I just don't think he always knows where it's going if 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 I'm if I'm Anthrop Anthopolis I'm gonna butcher that every time that I say if I'm Anthopolis. <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm going to try to move Newcomb. I'd probably try to move Tehran, and I would probably try to move uh, Fulton Awish. Ralph, I agree with you on all of those except for except for Fulty. I think that I think his his stuff is just too electric. I think he's made um, discernible improvements and adjustments year to year. Um, whether he's in the rotation in 2020 remains to be seen, but I don't think he's one that gets moved, but I do think that Tehran is gone. Uh, there's no way he's in Atlanta at the start of this year. And I can wow. see Newcomb also being that guy that could be traded to bring in a guy like Christian Yelich. If the Braves wanted to go after him, um, he does fit kind of the plan, what they would be looking for. Young, controllable left-hand bat, plays gold glove defense in the outfield. Um, uh, so I, I, I'm with you on Newcomb. I just don't think he throws enough strikes. The stuff is there, but big league hitters, I've seen him face big league hitters, and he doesn't really fool them the third time through the order. His command's not good enough to get through three times in the order. And I just think his arm's too good to be relegated to a bullpen uh, piece. I think that he still has value, and I would like to see the Braves try and move him before he gets exposed at the major league level too bad. Because if we're talking about who Double A might think is untouchable, I would have to go with. If it's me, I'm going with Allard, Gohara, Soroka, and Kyle Wright. Yeah. On the, on that level, Freed, Ian Anderson, Newcomb, Tehran, I would move them. Um, I wouldn't move personally Joey Wentz, but I don't know if there's a big market for him yet. Um, I wonder if. Double A will be as aggressive as Coppolella was and have Wentz and Bryce Wilson skip the Florida State League and go straight to double A. Um, hmm. They certainly pitched the way Rome um, good enough to where I think they could make that jump, especially since the Florida State League is a bit more of a pitcher's league anyway. I would want to see them challenged at double A as well, because I think both those guys have the stuff and the makeup to handle it. And as a Braves fan, I wouldn't want to see either Wentz or Wilson uh, get traded. Joey Wentz might have been the best uh, the best pitcher that I saw all summer. Wow. So that's saying something. But I didn't see everybody, but he, he <laughs> I think he might have been the best. And I was the most I walked away the most impressed from pitching performance after watching him. And we're going to get into Wentz in a little bit. Um, he's sort of in my second tier of, of pitchers because he's more, more the low minors guys. But. We'll talk about Acuna maybe second. Why don't we just naturally here just sort of jump yeah. into this sort of group of starters? I think this is definitely still the best system in baseball, and the reasons it's still the best system in baseball from a you know a fantasy perspective and certainly from a real-life perspective is sort of the amount of starters who could be good number twos or number threes. And, you know, maybe if you throw enough twos and threes at the wall, you get a number one. That sounds like a poop joke, but I, I it's somewhere in there. I don't know where it is. But um, 
Let's just sort of talk. I, so I, I obviously ranked up my Brave system. I go, you know, alphabetically through the systems. It's just the easiest way for me to do it. So I always start with the Braves relatively early, and it's it's typically the the largest system the last couple of years I've had to write about, other than having to go back and change the Chicago White Sox system about a thousand times last year. Um, so when I ranked them out, I ranked them Allard, Gohara, Soroka, Anderson, and 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 Wright. Um, when I removed uh, Kevin Maiton from my list, they actually are two, three, four, five, and six. So that shows you after Acuna, they're you know they're my guys. I like Allard because I love the breaking ball. Um, I think there's still some projectability with him. I think there's there's I think the fastball can get better as he gets stronger and he adds a few ticks onto it. I think that's totally possible. And I think because of how good Soroka has been, um, because of some of his off-speed stuff and his really good control. You know, we're sort of underselling what uh, what Alard did at at Double A this season. I think you know ultimately we're gonna we're gonna see him at the Triple A level. Um, he should probably come out of camp with Gwinnett. Uh, I, I imagine that Gohara's on this list right now, but he will probably break camp. Um, I know he's been a been a hot pickup in a lot of redraft uh, early mock drafts that I've been doing, and I think that Soroka also will hit Double Triple uh, A. Um, he's probably the safest, as I said before, of this group. Um, I, I think he has a shot to actually hit Atlanta sometime next summer if if things break right, if there's the right amount of injuries, and he uh, does the same thing in Gwinnett that that he did in Mississippi. Um, Lance, I, I, why don't I kick it over to you? Sort of from yeah. this group, who who are your your favorites? Who are your top three? Um, yeah, just let's let's go into these yeah. guys a little bit. Yeah, I mean, um. I agree with you. This is this is the chunk of pitchers. You know, we're, we're talking about him as a whole. We're talking about him as a group. We skip over Acuna because of this. Um, but I actually am going to kind of go on a limb here. It's something that I've kind of had in the back of my mind for a while. But my, number two, if I were to have a list, obviously Acuna's one. Two for me is actually Kyle Wright. And it's kind of a little bit weirder of a theory of logic around it. But I'm enamored with his pitch mix, most notably, because he has two breaking balls. And he, I think he can go to the change and that change can develop. But as a whole, he's an SEC arm stretched out a little bit. I know he only threw like whatever, 27 innings. Um, but as a whole, I, I just I really like what he does with his quick to twitch muscles and what he has mechanically. And I understand that if you see a lot, of, you can see a lot of breakdowns on YouTube where his arm probably comes through a little bit late. And everyone is kind of rumbling a little bit about injury bug. You know, we saw this a ton. And um, I know that the last top college arms, quote unquote, that you get from drafts haven't been too, too successful. You go back to like Dylan Tate, guys like that, guys like uh, like Strasburg obviously has some injuries, et cetera. But I just I really like what I've seen from a personal standpoint with right. And it, it's not reflected so much in the numbers, but every now and then I, I tend to lean towards picks like this. I think that also I'm I'm bringing some of the fantasy side here, because if I'm going organizationally, what I want, I probably want Allard. But if I'm going fantasy, I think that you have a beautiful blend of floor. And I'm removing a bit of the injury bug because I think that when he goes through a major league system, they'll do a better job of incorporating his lower half, taking some stress off that arm um, as a whole. And I think that could breed actually a little bit more velocity um, above kind of the 95-ish. He's one of those guys, I think, later in his career, as he ages a little bit, you can see a weird like mile power tick up. And that's going to help us change a ton velocity-wise, the differential between them. He's got the two breaking balls. He's got a little bit of control. And it's just, for me, I'm, I'm just, I really like the blend of everything he has to offer from the upside standpoint, from the floor standpoint. And I just don't think I'm as worried on the injury side 
as some other people. So he's actually my two. And I have him basically 2A, 2B with Gohara. Gohara, particularly because he's at the major league level and we've shown some success. I'm a little bit more concerned with uh, Gohara on the fact that his fastball to righties hasn't been fantastic and on the major league level. And I could see that being a little bit funky as he kind of tries to develop a bit. Um, he's going to need all three pitches. That's the thing we're going to get into with a lot of these guys is like, they all kind of need that third pitch to some extent. And, you know, even rights aren't great, but I like the fact that right has four as a whole as a set. So I, I'm, I'm, those are kind of my top two. And then I have a large three. And again, it's very, very close. And I can, I understand the bait for any of these. If you want Soroka too, I'm completely fine with that. If you really like that flow and you think that when he, excuse me, gets to the major league level, that his strikeouts can kind of tick up a little because that's my one concern with him is how much, how much ceiling is there. I agree with you, Ralph, in saying that that's the probably the best floor just because he could soar through the system. He's got beautiful, beautiful control. And I don't think it's going to waver at all. That's always going to stick. I don't think it's going to age, but I'm just not maybe as enamored with his stuff as, you know, a large uh, curveball. And I know you love it, Ralph, and I, I love it too, but um, you know, there's a lot of, there was a lot of decisions I made in looking down this list. So but those are my top three. I'm going right, Gohara and Aller. Jason, who are your top three? Um, I, I would go with uh, I would go with Allard. Um, I just love his maturity. I love what he was able to do at at, at Double A as a teenager. Um, I do think Gohara probably has the best stuff, um, even better than Kyle Wright. I like him from the left side. I like his ability to blow guys away. Um, I, I'm with you guys. I like Soroka's floor. I, I've seen Soroka. He just kind of he's just kind of there. You know, you look up at the scoreboard and and he's got a he's given up one run through six innings. You know, nothing spectacular. He's just out there doing work. Um, I know that Ralph had Ian Anderson five. Um, I wouldn't put him ahead of Kyle Wright. I I like Kyle Wright. I like his stuff. I agree with uh, I agree with you, Lance, on just his his pitch ability. It's, it's funny that he's the oldest guy on the list with, with the least pro, the least amount of pro experience, which, yeah, which tells you a lot of just about how Coppola, you know, targeted these teenage pitchers and then got a, really aggressive with them. Um, and they thrived under, under that, uh, under that development. Um, I saw Kyle Wright make his Florida state league debut against Dunedin where he faced Bo Bichette and, uh, and Vlad jr. And Connor Panis, who was the hottest hitter in the Florida State League in the second half. Um, I mean, he blew those guys away. The fastball was absolutely just sizzling out of his hand. Um, and I guess it's not fair to Ricardo Sanchez, who who we'll talk about a little bit later, way down this list. Um, he was like somebody that. that the Braves thought enough of to add to the 40-man to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. Uh, he followed up Kyle Wright in that game because Wright only went two innings. And uh, so I, I guess my assessment of Sanchez just isn't fair because the, the ball did not sizzle or move anywhere close to the way that it did with Wright. Um, his slider was just absolutely filthy. Um, mm. But I think for me, I would probably, I guess, long story short, I would go Allard, Gohara, Soroka. Well, and I'm sorry, Allard, Gohara, Wright, Soroka, and then Wentz. I would put uh -huh. Wentz ahead of Ian Anderson. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, and and I was gonna yeah. I was gonna say let me mention on on Anderson too. Um, I, I don't, he's a tough read for me because he is a cold weather kid. I know he was really good in the first half of the season, and then they sort of tempered down his innings and eventually just sort of shut him down um, because he had thrown you know more or less you know 
almost, I think, 65 or 70 innings at that point. He ended up finishing the season with 83. Um, but I was just impressed by the swing and miss stuff. I thought his fastball was better than I than I thought it was going to be. The, the breaking ball was better than I thought it was going to be. I didn't see Wentz personally. Um, a lot of, the, of my take on Wentz has come off of sort of scouting reports where they told me not to believe in numbers. Now, Jason has seen Wentz, so I would take his opinion over mine on on once over Anderson, but uh, yeah, that's that's sort of what my thinking was uh, with Anderson when doing this list out. But Lance, it seemed like you had something you wanted to jump into. Yeah, I was just I, I was interested when I watched some video on Anderson and the fact that he's almost the mechanical, in my opinion. I, I mean, this might be wrong. I'm obviously not perfect with discerning mechanics and stuff and analyzing him, but he uses a lot of his lower body as opposed to right who uses a lot of his upper body, his arm in particular. And I, I like that with Anderson. I also like the fact that he's got a pretty good change. I know, Ralph, you have in this, this kind of notes of ours that you wanted to go through who has the best of each kind of pitch. And I change up as a whole, I might put give it to Anderson. I know some people probably have him down a bit. But, I mean, we haven't seen to much extent anyone else's change be plus plus. And I think there's a bit – I mean, Soraka maybe. But I think there's a bit of a an interesting take here with Anderson and the change that that's a pretty good pitch for him. And I know the curveball as a whole for him has been more of a kind of – not he's not able to locate it as well so it's going to turn into probably a spike pitch with two strikes that he's not going to be able to expand out but i mean a guy like i mean again that's the complete opposite of a guy like allard where his curveball you could spot anywhere in the zone and that's probably one of the reasons i think a lot of people really like him is the command on that curve is unbelievable so i mean at this at the same time we're saying a lot of these guys are similar to some extent they each have very very different characteristics that I think can make that's why you can make the case for any of them being number two on your list, you know, behind Acuna, of course. So, um, Jason, uh, you, Joey Wentz, I want to hear, hear a little bit more about your thoughts around him if you have him above coming. Some of the other guys, I think me and Ralph uh, might have him below. Yeah, uh, I saw him in Asheville um, this summer against the tourist. I actually have video of him up on my YouTube channel. I can uh, I can tweet it out uh, once this goes live, but. Uh, his command was spot on every batter that came up there. It seemed like was in an O2 hole mm-hmm. and he could command fastball, curveball, change up slider did not matter what he threw. He hit strike one, strike two. And then it was, and then it was almost like he was like a, like, like when you play with a cat with a string uh, with these hitters, um, he, he was touched up. Third time through the order, uh, Max George and Tyler Nevin took him deep. Those were the only two two runs he gave up through seven innings. Um, but you talk about efficiency. You talk about not messing around. You talk about a bulldog out on the plate, uh, out on the mound. He reminded me, and I, mean, I hate comparing, you know, players, but um, especially when you when you tag somebody to a Hall of Famer. And I'm not I'm not saying that Wentz is going to be this guy, but on this particular day, he looked like Tom Glavin with command and I say that with Tom Glavin would nibble 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 but when Tom Glavin was really good he would spot that fastball inside and then you would get yourself out Um, I think the difference was went with Wentz was he was able to spot that fastball inside up and in up and away um, and then just obliterate guys with his with his off-speed stuff and you mentioned, you know, the nibbling of Glavin there. That actually makes me think of back again to Allard. I know, Ralph, you really like Allard. Do you think that to any extent that he could be one of those guys that can't necessarily maybe rear back and throw a fastball by someone because it sits kind of lowish to maybe 94? I think it's seen a top out at. 
but he mm. seems like a guy that's definitely location-based to me. And I was interested if that's something you like in a prospect or if that's something that maybe deters you a little bit, that he's not going to be able to rear back and just fire 96, 97 in there like we've seen with guys like Gohara where that fastball sits 96. Yeah, I think it just comes back down to, you know, if they can induce weak contact, get swing and strikes on it, um, or throw it for strikes and set up, you know, their off-speed or breaking pitches, then I'm fine with it. Uh, you know, I, I think we get so obsessed with velocity, um, and, and I know it comes up in conversations a lot, and a lot of, you know, when we analyze these prospects, oh, this guy, he's, you know, popping 98, 99. There's a lot of guys that pop 98, 99 that aren't any good, and it also seems like, it, you know, now this is, once again, bad science, but I think there is sort of a correlation between guys that throw really hard and more elbow injuries, more shoulder injuries. So, you know, Absolutely. I, if the guy's mechanics are good and he has multiple pitches, he can throw a lot of innings. And he's obviously done that at a young age. Um, the velocity to me in the fastball, if he throws it for strikes and there's some movement to it, which with a lot there is, um, and there's some playing to it when you watch him, even for a smaller guy, he's only six one. Um, but that, it doesn't deter me too much in terms of, the velocity. I think he's sexier on paper and to the readers <laughs> and the people that I write for uh, when I'm like, hey, he's yeah. popping he's popping 101 like Jorge Guzman and I can get everybody kind of in a fever pitch of, oh my god, he throws 101. But really, I mean, if he throws strikes, that's all that matters, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so let me add this. Let oh. me add this real quick on Wentz. I'm um, talking about velocity. I had heard that out of high school, he was touching 96 on the on the gun. Mm. Um, and I know that the Braves had drafted Ian Anderson in third overall that year to get him to go under slot so that they could over slot for Wentz. Um, when I saw Wentz, they did not have a stadium radar gun. I was sitting behind Ian Anderson. I love Ian Anderson, but Ian Anderson is terrible at working the radar gun so that anyone can see it behind him. <laughs> it was like half the pitches he didn't even he didn't even uh, chart or at least take velocity for. So from what I saw, um, Wentz was sitting at about 92. Um, yeah, I read this, too, actually. And so. I think looking just if you're looking at, oh, he throws 92, that's nothing in today's game. OK, well, he's got three pitches. Well, whatever. Um, what does that mean? There's still the fastball. People are going to be able to hit his fastball. Outside of the two home runs that he gave up, there wasn't one hard hit ball uh, in the first six innings. And he was flirting, I think, with a one hitter. And, mm. and that one hit was an infield single. Um, when you can command strike one with a well-located 90-plus mile-per-hour fastball, it is a devastating pitch to hit if you can put it where you want it. If you can follow that up with your ability to throw your off-speed pitches for strikes, you, then your 92 looks like 97 to the hitter. And that's what Wentz does so well is that when he can command the zone with three to four pitches, you have no idea what's coming, and he can and he can put you away. the The amount of high the, the amount of strikeout swinging he had on high fastballs, um was, I mean, was pretty fascinating to watch, especially when it was coming in at 92. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to actually touch on the fantasy side. Like, that's very interesting with Wentz, because I actually saw, too, that he was sitting 96 and he dropped it down. And if it's a controlled thing for me, I, I'm completely fine with that. Like, he's a lefty. That ball's got some life on it from what I've seen video-wise on his fastball. But with Sororka, the one concern I have, I think I probably have been tinkering him with the bottom of this kind of group 
what exactly Ralph is, is the upside for him? I think that's kind of something that is definitely, we, we think we probably all agree is a little bit lower than any other pitcher almost on this list through the top 10, maybe. But I'm just wondering, like, does this just turn into a guy like, like an Aaron Blairish kind of guy where another brave that kind of came over from the D backs. So it wasn't really anything, but had some good control, not nearly as good a control as Sorica, but no, I just, I, that's the thing I'm struggling with. It's just where exactly, at what point do you, you end up going, wow, Soroka's a very, very good major league pitcher. And therefore that translates to fantasy value. Well, I, I think that he can miss more bats over time. I think we're sort of underplaying um, how much more his stuff would play up against younger competition that was more age appropriate. Um, but I think even beyond that, he could be sort of a souped up Kyle Hendricks um, with a better fastball. Um, and, and those guys are valuable. Ratios guys are valuable. And it's not like he, I don't think he's going to, you know, not miss any bats. It's not like he, this isn't going to be like tie block, you know, numbers where, you know, he's only striking out five per nine or something like that. I still think he can be an eight per nine sort of a pitcher, especially the guys swing and miss in this day and age. His stuff's going to get better. It's going to get crisper. I don't think that Soroka is a finished product and that he's going to be done yet, but I think he has feel and he understands pitching. And, uh, you know, I, I think to a lot of people he'll be undersold and how he'll be ranked in real life lists and maybe even especially fantasy lists because of the strikeouts. I think in a deeper dynasty league, He's the perfect kind of guy to target in a trade um, if you're looking to get multiple prospects for, you know, a veteran maybe that you're selling here in the offseason. Because I do think he's going to have a short ETA, and I think he has a really high floor. And that's attractive, but I do think there's some ceiling there. I don't think that he uh, – I don't think he's without ceiling. I think he could be uh, a multi-time all-star and a guy that wins a, a lot of ball games. Maybe doesn't fill up the the, the strikeout categories for you but we'll keep your ratios nice. All right, let's uh, let's take a break right here, and let's acknowledge our uh, one and only sponsor. That would be RotoWare. That would be Kenny Cashman. That would be uh, RotoWare.com, at RotoWare on Twitter, at uh, Kenneth Cashman on Twitter as well. Um, highest quality T-shirts, highest quality designs. He's just killing the fantasy T-shirt game. There's a lot of imitators that are out there, but none can duplicate what my man Kenny does. He's got his finger in the, on the pulse, as uh, Help always like to say, but uses the best quality materials. Uh, I got five or six RotoWare shirts. I love all of them. He's got fantasy baseball shirts. He's got fantasy football shirts. He's got, he's got some hockey and some basketball stuff in there, too. One of the, the most seasonal ones, I think, right now is a fantasy loser shirt. So any of your friends that you're kicking their ass in your fantasy football leagues right now uh, and you want to send them a Christmas gift, why don't you spend some of that winner's money on these fantasy loser T-shirts, support a local uh, a local guy, but you know more so than even local, an actual you know entrepreneur, somebody doing it big. Uh, you can use the promo code SAGNOFF to get 20% off any of your purchases here for the holiday season. And uh, rotoware.com. I don't think there's anything else I could say, man. Why don't we just jump in here? We've talked a lot about pitchers. I think we've sort of hit on all the high notes there with, with that group of pitchers. And then let's just throw Wentz into there as well. Um, I kind of had him in between in my rankings. Why don't we sort of jump into some of the hitters? We know that we have, obviously, the best pitching, you know, uh, prospects in baseball in terms of an actual group. We also probably have the best positional player um, in Ronald Acuna. I don't think there's a whole lot for us to say about Acuna. He's fabulous. He went out to the, you know, Arizona Fall League, continued to hit. His numbers across three levels were bananas. 
Um, you know, he was even better than Gabriel Arias <laughs> was for one game uh, in the Australian Baseball League last summer. It seems like we've just gotten a nonstop stream of positivity with Acuna, other than Eno Saris saying that he was kind of cocky. Um, when do you think Acuna is going to be up at the major league level, Jason? May. I okay. think, um, I, although double A could make a splash and, and say, we're just going to go with it. We got the money. We'll, we'll start his clock now. Um, but it, I mean, until they change the play, until they change the, the, the service time rules, I just, it, if you're not a championship team, then it makes absolutely no sense to lose that year on him. Um, Cause he's going to probably be a super two anyway. So may, I think they'll, yeah, and that's April, the, maybe, that's, but that's the unfortunate side effect of, uh, of these, of these rules when it comes to, uh, you know, arbitration and everything else and, and super two, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Lance, what's, what do you think? When do you think we see Ronald Acuna? I mean, I'll deviate from the pack. I think he might break. I think he might break spring. And I, I don't, I'm not confident in saying that, but I wouldn't be stunned if he kills it in the spring and, Anthopolis coming in feels a little bit of pressure to just slot him in there and get him going. Because I think that I, I agree that the contention winner for the Braves as a whole as a team might be not this year, not even maybe next year. Kind of, it's I think it's going to sync up actually very nicely with the Phillies and make the NL East very very interesting. But I, I kind of have this weird feeling that Acuna is going to start the year and play play a full season. And I mean, at that point, then you start thinking about him getting that much playing time and how he, how he progresses even more. I know we were talking about how he's just flown through the system, you know, strikeout rate fell at each level. And that's something that you clearly can just see on fangers if you jump to it, but it just blows my mind. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things like go hard. He was a guy that jumped a bunch of levels, but you know, he, we didn't see this unbelievable, you know, just appreciation of talent and stock, particularly with Acuna. And it's, I, I just, I just have this feeling like we've seen him succeed everywhere. It's just, I get the whole financial side around the super two, and I get that a lot of people would probably rip Anthopolis if, if he does it. But, man, I could see a weird scenario where he just kind of doesn't care, comes in and is like, no, no, he's the starting – he's the best player um, on this team, you know? Like, throw it out there. Why not? Like, who else on the team are you terrified of? Oh, Freddie Freeman. No, I shouldn't have said that. My bad. My bad, Braves fans. I, I did not forget about Freddie. I love Freddie. But Ozzy uh, Albies. Enciarte is not too bad. <laughs> yeah, fair. But, I mean, I don't know. I, from a fantasy perspective, you're looking at all those, like, uh, sure, Abby's plays up the middle. I like him a lot this year, actually, mm. in, in full season leagues. But, man, Acuna is just – I don't know. I'm going to say he breaks. Breaks camp. Why not? Let's be a little – I mean, it would be it would be an interesting PR move after after yeah. such a tumultuous offseason to just say, he's our guy. We're going to bite the bullet on losing that year. But this is yep. what you guys wanted. And I do think that the Braves aren't a mess. Um, they have a lot of talent up the middle. You know, Swanson, there's no way Dansby Swanson will be as bad as he was last year. Braves fans don't freak out. It happens to a number of players. Dansby has enough talent. He's a smart enough guy that he's going to be able to make those adjustments and stay at shortstop. With Albies up the middle, he has all the talent to be an all-star second baseman. In Ciarte, his offensive game, you know, was – Leaps and bounds better than the year before, and he's still a Gold Glove defensive player. So up the middle, they have what they have what they want, and we're talking about even if Tehran is not traded, we're talking about a rotation of Tehran, Newcomb, Gohara, and Fulte. I mean, all those guys were top 100 prospects. Um, 
and while we might have a little bit of prospect fatigue with with Newcomb and and maybe even you know a little impatience with Fulty, those are still four dynamic arms in that rotation. If they can add a veteran starter, this team can contend, and um, it would be a good move for Double A to go ahead and say, "I'm all in." We have the pieces there. Let's not wait two weeks so that we can get an extra year of this guy if he is the best player. And, and I was going to say, I love the fact that you called him double A, by the way, now that I, I don't have to be the one that goes forward. So I'm going to do the same thing. Uh, but I think that one thing they have to be concerned with, they got a new ballpark. They got to put asses in the seats. And I hate yeah. to say it, but Ronald Acuna puts asses in the seats. He's, he's, he, uh, we get, when we talk Acuna on the podcast, I get more clicks than anybody, more than, oh, yeah. more than when it's like Moncada. So I know for yeah. a fact, Acuna puts asses in the seats. He's going to help out. He's already probably their second best defensive outfielder. He's he, he's a he's a he's above probably as an offensive player as well. Certainly Nick Markakis and probably Matt Kemp over the course of a full season. So you know I, I think they're playing with 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 service time here and there. They don't really need to. Um, just I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the prices right. I'm gonna go a little bit. Uh, Beyond Lance and just before Jason, I'm going to say late April, he gets like the Cody Bellinger, yeah. Chris Bryant, or he's in he's in the minors for one, two, three weeks, and then he gets the call. Um, you know, I don't want to wish ill on Nick Markakis, um, Double A's uh, Greek brother in crime, but I'm kind of hoping he you know he falls in a hole in spring training and they're forced into uh, Markakis. Maybe he trips in a sprinkler like Michael Saunders did, but. Um, you know, sort of moving along here, I think we, we don't need to go into Acuna. He's, you know, all things to everybody. We could start at Ronald Acuna and uh, Shohei Otani facts uh, handle on Twitter and just say anything like he's Chuck Norris or Matt Wieters, and it would totally make sense. Why don't we move into some guys that sort of had a breakout 2017, followed it through in the fall league with strong showings again. Um, one being Austin Riley, third base prospect, was a supplemental first rounder a couple years ago. Um, and has really done nothing but hit uh, throughout his, his minor league career, but has always sort of been knocked because he doesn't have the bat speed, even though as a hitter he's really polished and has a lot of really good things going for him, really good hands, good strength. Um, you know, he had a bad body. He sort of worked himself to the point that he's more sculpted now. Um, I know some people see him and, and have visions of Chipper Jones. I think that's obviously a little lofty and a bit hyperbole. But, um, you know, ultimately, he's a really good third base uh, prospect now. Uh, the other guy being Alex Jackson. But why don't we jump into Riley? I don't know how much you've seen of Riley. I know he was on that Florida team to start the season. Uh, Jason, how much have you seen of Riley? Oh, I, I've, I saw quite a bit of Riley. I saw him I saw him in, in Florida at high A. I saw him. Uh, in double A when I went and saw Soroka and I saw him in the Arizona Fall League. So I got a chance to see I got a chance to see uh Riley quite a bit. I like him. Um he's not gonna be Chipper Jones. <laughs> Don't expect that, Braves fans. Um he's a power guy and the he his body hasn't even really matured. This guy is only twenty. Um and what I like about him is he gets stronger as the season as the season continues um if you look at his splits first half to second half it's it's pretty wild um mm. for example in a ball in the first half this guy was hitting 251 314 with a 395 slugging percentage um 
I know the Florida State League is a pitcher's league, but those are not numbers in a first half that I would think this guy could be a breakout candidate um, and, and in my opinion, probably do more than, than anybody in the Arizona Fall League to raise his prospect status up, I think, with the power and with the way that he was able to flash the glove out there. Um, once he got to double A, though, this guy hit, you know, 315, 389, 511 was a slash line with eight home runs in the second half of the season. Um, and if you go back to 2016, it was much of the same thing. First half of the season, 252, 299, 372 were slash lines. This guy hit three home runs in the first half of 2016. Second half, 66 games, 289, 348, 581 with 17 jacks. So this guy is a second half player. I asked him in Arizona, I said, uh, you know, hey, have you figured out what's, uh, are you doing anything different in the second half? Is it just take your time to adjust, see the ball? He told me he has no idea, and if I could figure it out to let him know so that he could fix it. He <laughs> says he changes nothing. He says he doesn't see the ball any better. Um, but for some reason, for the past two years, um, he's been an incredible hitter the second half and, and a pretty dismal hitter and an and easy guy to sour on. I soured on him a little bit in the first half um, of this year. So he's two for two in second halves. That's what I kind of like to see. Yeah. Lance, I wanted yeah. to ask you, what's uh, what's your what's your take on Riley? Um, do you think he's the third baseman of the future? And, and is he a guy you want to own in fantasy? There's there's not a lot of good fantasy third base prospects that potentially stick at the position right now with Devers, you know, moving on. And I'm not so sure that Vlad Jr. necessarily is a third baseman long term. Mm-hmm. So yeah. sort of with that in mind, what's what's sort of your take on Riley? I think it's interesting you say that because I agree. It's kind of the weird thing where we have a, we finally have a guy who could be a projectable third baseman with a mix of a little bit of discipline. He, he walked a 10%, 10% clip in double A last year in like 200 plate appearances, struck out kind of around that 25%, which I, I wish was down a little bit more. But if he's batting like high 280s at the major league level and he's putting this all together, he turns into a guy that could kind of add everything to a team itself at third. And I think he, be, he could become relevant. I don't know how much that power is going to turn into like 30 home run pop at its peak. I mean, I know, I know he's got pretty raw power as a whole, but I'm interested. I mean, the thing is too, he's really young and it's like, Jason, you're saying that, you know, he didn't know what he changed. Like it might've just been like mental maturation, you know, like the kid's 20 years old, you know, you gotta, that's the thing with a lot of these guys like Sorica too is extremely, extremely young. And one of the reasons everyone loves him so much is because that command is so developed at his age. That's what stands out with Sorica, you know? And I think you could apply that to Riley to some extent. You know, he, he killed it in the AFL. I know he's a standout for a lot of people. And I watched a little bit of him. I can't say I'm in love with the swing, but you can't you can't look away from the results as a whole. And I'm interested too on the athleticism side because I hear that a lot with him. He's big guy, six three two twenty. Um, you know, I'm interested righty bat, but when you look at him, you kind of get the feeling he's not athletic, but he has the arm for third. I think he could kind of stick at third and he's young enough to the point where I'm not going to be concerned three years, four years down the road, road that he moves off it maybe later in his career. But at that point, you know, at that point, we have a much better picture when he's 27, you know, what exactly the, the ceiling in the production is, but uh, I'm interested, Ralph, like the athleticism side, do you have any thoughts on that? Cause I feel like it's just more of a, of a body thing. Like you look at him and you go, he can't be athletic. And then you watch him play and you're like, 
Oh, he's adjusted a lot. He's a pretty athletic kid for six three two twenty. You know. Yeah, and and one of the things that you've seen over time, just in in watching video, if you go onto YouTube and sort of look at his older stuff coming out of high school and then you know, early on in his pro career, um, he's followed a, a a strict diet and training regimen, and he's been really religious, I guess, about sort of what he puts into his body, what is what his training is, and he's tightened up a lot, and I think that that's improved his defense and it's improved his athleticism. Um, and I think that, you know, that speaks a lot for the Braves player development over these last few years, regardless of what they were doing in the international market. Once players were sort of in the boat, they did a good job of sort of turning them into better prospects. Um, I think we've seen that with Max Freed. Um, hopefully maybe we see that with Matt Whistler at one point, but I just don't think it's there. Another guy that we have seen that with, another guy that was good in the Arizona Fall League, is a former sort of all-world prep prospect, Alex Jackson was a catcher in high school, uh, was picked by the Seattle Mariners. The Seattle Mariners have never seen a prospect that they didn't want to completely suck the life out of and ruin before they traded them away <laughs> in some way, shape, or form. They did the same to Alex Jackson. They moved him to the outfield where his bat just doesn't play the same. This guy, um, much like Austin Riley, has an unbelievable arm, though. He's probably like... I mean, a 40 catcher now in terms of defense, but he can throw runners out. He sort of fits the right profile where it's bat first, but it's very power heavy. Um, it's much more contact power over approach and sort of waiting for his pitch. Um, you know, he's not going to set any walk records um, and he will he will swing and miss. But it's just sort of a pure power play at this point. I still think this guy has 25 homer potential in that bat and maybe more in this environment if these balls stay juiced. Um Lance, what's what's your take on Jackson? I don't know how much of his career you followed up to this point, um, but you know, obviously, he was a, a top five pick for the Mariners and yeah. has sort of rejuvenated his career here as a catcher again, um, which I think has boosted his fantasy value. Yeah, I mean, I think he's got enough raw power. You're saying like 25 home runs with the juice ball. I think he could. I mean, give him the dead ball. I think he could get to 25 home runs, and that's that's invaluable at the catcher position. Is the thing. Mm-hmm. The thing that always comes back to me, and I'm going to kick back to the the Baseball American podcast that they brought up. And I, I've just been sitting on a lot of their questions because they brought up some good ones. The one with Jackson <laughs> was whether, you know, as a whole, are we now enamored with him more because he's become a catcher? If say he was a corner outfield prospect with a good arm, because realistically, like you put him in the corner right now with that arm, his mobility is probably not fantastic. It's, it's probably well below par. That's why he kind of moved to catcher, but you know, you put him in the corner outfield, and then you maybe bump up his speed a little, give him, give him a little bit better of a glove. I just don't think, as a whole, it's that projectable. It probably turns into an extra outfielder that you probably want to stack against, you know, left-handed pitching. But I agree that because, you know, we have this kind of idea that maybe he gets a 25-ish, 30 home runs at the catcher position, we start to think back to a better version of guys like Hedges even. You know, Hedges' defense is much, much better as a whole, probably calling games and defending from the catcher position. But Jackson has the arm, and that's where, why I think a lot of people think he could stick a catcher. And he's been relatively good, and the speed's going to keep him there. But, I, I mean, I'll pass this to Jason. Like, if this profile's in the corner outfield, do we care? And at the same time, if we don't care, how much can we love Jackson as a prospect because of that? Um, I mean, I think if he's still a corner outfielder with his speed, then we're looking at we're looking at, at... – Matt Kemp and a 21-year-old kid's body. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a good point, yeah. You know, uh, you definitely catch or raises his stock because it's such a barren, in my mind, it's such a barren offensive fantasy market. Yeah. Um, you know, that 
you know, fantasy owners, they don't necessarily care about a guy's defense unless it's going to keep him out of the lineup. But the, the chance to get a 20 homer catcher um, is definitely something that <clears throat> is definitely worth targeting um, in deep fantasy dynasty drafts where you can stash this guy. Um, but, you know, there's been a lot of buzz on him and the fact that he is a catcher now might make his value a little bit more than you're willing to pay because I don't know if he has the tools to necessarily be an everyday major league catcher at this point. Um, I think he's got the power, but I, I'm not in love necessarily with his hit tool. Um, if you look at his peripherals uh, from 2016 with the Mariners in 2015, uh, not a lot's changed. Yeah. So, his walk, his walk rate still about eight, nine percent. His strikeout rate still about twenty-seven percent. His BABIP still in the you know three seventeen to three fifteen. So I wanted to know from him when I saw him what was the difference between you know what was considered a bust twenty sixteen and and pretty much him falling off of any serious can prospects list. Um. To this year, was it the move to catcher? Because the he's not taking more walks, he's not more selective at the plate, he's not striking out less, he's not, he's he doesn't have he's, his average isn't higher because of a higher batting average on balls in play. So really, what is the difference? Um, he basically told me that he's healthy and he's having fun, and <laughs> and that was it. And it. Is it the safe PR move? Sure, yeah. I'm not going to bash the Mariners and and whatnot. Yeah, it's the it's it's the safe statement to say to someone like me. But at the end of the day, just the smile on his face and seeing him and Austin Riley, you know, in batting practice in the Arizona Fall League, busting each other's asses and 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 talking crap to each other and trying to outdo one another uh, with BP home run distance. And um, I legit I legitimately believe that this guy got healthy got on a roll early, started having fun, did not change anything about his game or his swing. But when he did make contact, he was able to make harder contact, and it resulted in in a bit more power. Now, one thing he did say, he did not say that moving to catcher was necessarily the reason for his success this year, but he did say playing catcher allows him to be more engaged in the game, and he gets to see a ton of pitches. And he gets to see how pitchers are or, and, and how to work a hitter. So I don't know if there's a direct correlation between the two, but it would make sense that the more pitches that you see, the more, no, the more knowledgeable you come about a, uh, become about a pitcher's game plan should translate into more success as a hitter. Um, he has the talent to make that work. Not a, lot of, not a lot of catchers do. So, I mean, to me, it's good to see him get his career back on path. Yeah, and I was going to just jump over here uh, to sort of a, a, a brief bridge between the next set of hitters we're going to talk about, because I think he's not quite in that next tier of pitchers, but he's also somebody that Jackson would have caught quite a bit uh, while he was in the Arizona Fall League, and you would have seen firsthand. What's your take on on Max Freed? Um, I didn't get to see him in the Arizona Fall League. Aww. I know. He was uh, the last game. He switched with TJ Zoich and... Uh, so I missed him and Acuna the two, three days, four days I was out there. But, uh, you know, Freed has dynamic stuff. He's, I think he's fully back from that injury. I think 
command is generally the last thing to come from Tommy John. Um, he had pretty good command in the Arizona Fall League. I think he really, if if Austin Riley did not do the most to increase his prospect stock, then Max Fried certainly did. And I do think that there's a spot in the rotation waiting for him to start the year. I do think he breaks camp with the team. He was on the team at the end of the year, so um, I don't think they view him as a guy that they absolutely need to wait on the arbitration clock. Uh, and he'll bring a lot of value through the trade market if they decide that the next wave is better than he is, and that they can, they and that they can get offense back in return for him. So, Lance, what's your take on Freed? I I, I want to hear this because I'm sort of always a little worried. Uh, I don't I don't know quite how trust how much I trust Freed still. So I'm yeah, interested I to hear your take. I'm probably in the same window. I mean, he's had a couple interesting starts. He's not pitching that deep into games. The thing that's probably most encouraging for me is that he's a lefty with not insane split issues. You know, like we're not, we don't see crazy, crazy split issues with him. And I'm not like there are, they are there. Obviously if right handed hitter, you're going to hit him a little bit better. You're probably going to see him better too. But as a whole, when you look at his splits from the small sample we saw this year, I'm, I'm encouraged by that particularly because I think that it's helping him a lot, um, mix his pitches better most likely. And he's going to rely on those threes the way he's going to, be able to get that split issue down to basically nothing at all, as opposed to a guy like Gohara, which I think I like a lot. Again, we, I think we all like a lot, but I think he might have a little bit of trouble with right-handed bats coming into this year. Um, but yeah, Freed as a whole is interesting. I'm not sure on the K upside. Um, I, I think that I have a weird feeling that I'm not sure how long of a leash they give him in this season. If they start him as the five or the four, you know, if he's, if he's not producing at a level that shows, clear improvement from last year and I, I think he's completely capable of clear improvement but you know if we get 30 innings in with him five starts or whatever six starts and it's not substantially better I'm interested to see how quickly they start kicking the tires on someone else you know and if I'm not get, sure if that's something you guys agree with but you think if we get Mississippi free there's there's no chance that he makes it more than 30 <laughs> innings into the season yeah, I mean, well that's the thing he was he was better yeah. in the majors than he was in double a which was bizarre because he's, he's getting got, he's a outpitched coach. by multiple teenagers you know, that are, are playing, you know, way above sort of the appropriate age level. And then we have a guy uh, who had, you know, relatively good comeback season with Rome the previous season and, and was just pretty much garbage. I mean, he's a guy that I was very high on coming into the season because I'd yeah. love the breaking ball, the fastball velocity, the pedigree. Um, and I don't know. I really hope that Jack Flaherty is good. Otherwise, that whole trio of really <laughs> talented Harvard-Westlake uh, high school kids, because uh, I know, you know, yeah. Free was obviously the same rotation as Giolito. Uh, then Flaherty came in the next year. They're all disappointing me. So, Flaherty, you better be good, because I don't know. I'm I'm still worried about Freed. I think he's good for deep leagues. Uh, in 12-team leagues, no way. I don't know. There's a chance no he could be viable, but he has to he has to look like he did in Arizona. I, f- um, I feel like if I feel like if you own him in a in a deep dynasty, um, you can you I, I would trade him. If I owned him, I would put him on the block right now. Someone will overpay for him. And if you can overpay with a bat or if you, if you can get the overpay and get a bat in return, I want that. I don't care. I don't think Freed is going to be uh, such a stable in, in a rotation. Um, I think it's going to take him time. I think you got to strike while the iron's hot. If if he if he gets exposed at the major league level, then I think as a fantasy owner, you're not he's not going to get you the return that he would get you right now. I think he can get you a top 
fifty prospect bat maybe in return if you package him with someone else. And if you and 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 if you find a Braves fan in your league, you might be able to get a top fifteen bat without having to package <laughs> him with somebody. Uh, his, I don't think his stock will ever be higher than it is now, and that's why I would not be surprised if he's moved some at some point in this winter to shore up the defense or to move a bad contract. So so you heard it here first. If you have a Braves fan in your league who gets his rocks off with Arizona Fall League strong performances, you better trade Max Free to that guy. Um, and Alex wanna, Jackson. Trade Alex Jackson as well. Yes, and Alex Jackson. For Hold on to Riley. Jr. It might happen. Hold on to Riley. I don't want you to trade Riley. I want to yeah. just jump into a couple more hitters here before we sort of wrap the show up with the last stretch of pitchers, and then we'll maybe just rifle through some names at the end. Um, quick hits or something. Yeah, we could, we could do that maybe at the end. Yeah. There's so many names. There's like four. We could do like a top 40 Braves list that they not lost all those prospects. It's it's kind yeah. of insane. And the funniest thing is I read something um, on the Korean prospect that they lost, uh, Bay, who. Uh, apparently somebody comped to Trey Turner, which I just, I found to be absolutely um, zany, but if that's true, oh my God, I can't wait till Bay Bay sides with the Red Sox. Um, Anyway, so (laughs) it's not happening. They're not signing anybody. They're like the, the, like, they're like, they're like uh, East Germany after uh, the Berlin wall was built, but nobody's getting (laughs) in it. Um, Anyway, before I make any more outdated references for people that don't understand all the millennials that listen, um, I wanted to jump into sort of Christian uh, Pache, I think I'm saying that correctly, and then Drew Waters, who are two sort of teenage outfielders. Waters obviously was a uh, local Georgia product. They love to do this. They've been doing this for years, the Braves, where they plucked out of their backyards with Drew Waters. I think he's a really interesting prospect. Um, Jason, I don't know if you saw Waters at all. Why don't we jump into him first, and then we can sort of jump into Pache, who I think is uh, maybe less interesting. But um, I I don't know. He's very – it's tricky to sort of – I don't know. Actually, that's maybe not appropriate. But why why don't you jump into Waters? What do you think about Waters? Uh, I saw Waters in the Gulf Coast League. Um, You know, he's got a lot lot of growing to do. I, I like his body. I like his game. I like his speed. Um, the bat has a little bit of pop in it for a teenager. I think his problem now is going to be pitch recognition. Um, I don't love his stance. I don't love his hand placement. Um, he's kind of a little bit knock kneed at the plate, um, which it doesn't look like he's really learned how to use his lower half. Uh, and I don't think he, at this point, um, really has the, the ability to to pull the ball, to pull the ball with authority. With that being said, this kid's 18. When he fills out and gets stronger, he mm. should be a beast. Um, mm. But he will need as and, and as he matures, I think the walk rate will get better. I think his pitch recognition will get a little bit better too. But you know, this is a guy that they're that they say could be a a, a 2020 guy in the minors as soon as uh, next year. So. Um, you know, we'll have to see, but I, I, he's got a lot of growing to do. I think he can get bigger. He can put on some good weight. Um, and that's, and, and, and that's why I'm more excited about waters actually than, uh, Bichet when it comes to fantasy. And I, I think the reason is that I think that the power speed combo is a little bit more projectable, you know, a high school kid switch hitter. Um, I always like that. I think the athleticism is good. The tape that I have watched, I like pre-draft. I thought the Braves got an absolute steal with waters. And I know there was, some whispers of some monkey business there with his uh, signing bonus and a car that was bought, but he wasn't pulled from the system. So 
the Braves get to keep Waters. Um, Lance, do you have any any thoughts on Waters? I know you were uh, you're a big draft Nick, so. Yeah, Waters. Well, the biggest thing with Waters is stands out to me. Jason covered him pretty well right there. I like the first-hand opinion too. That's what I think I punt to most of the time. So Jason's yeah. <laughs> been awesome to have on this pod, honestly. But I like the fact that he can hang in from both sides of the plate as a switch hitter. Like that's that's relatively big to me. If he could go 20-20 and become a viable switch hitter, not end up like a Pablo Sandoval, always terrible from one side of the plate. Like that that holds a lot of value for a team, I think personally, and that's why I like him. Yeah, I agree with you on on Pache though, Ralph. That there's beautiful glove there you could argue that his glove is is comparable to Acuna's which I don't think a lot of people bring up because he's so be much better. lower down on list yeah that's the thing too and it, I think it has some room to improve honestly he's not gonna I mean when Acuna fills out I think he could end up probably deteriorating with the glove that's more of like a I, I'm actually interested on that I don't really know but obviously not too much of a fantasy implication but yeah Pache's glove is unbelievable ton of speed but I really don't see any power in there you know I almost liken his swing a little bit to a Jose Ramirez a little, very loose could go to off fields but as a whole like Jose Ramirez's power in the game is substantially higher I just don't I don't really see I mean the Jared Dyson I think we made a Jared Dyson comp earlier here but or maybe it was to Pache but that's kind of where I see Pache <laughs> where I think that it's relatively interesting to see him as a very good glove with some wheels um, I think his efficiency has been pretty good on the base pass too I could see that kind of playing up mm. but I don't think he's going to be like a D Gordon ish 60 perennial 60 bad guy. I don't even think he's going to end up being like a Trey Turner 40 ish bad guy, even 45. I know Turner's stolen base projections are through the roof now, but yeah, I, I agree. Waters has got probably the more upside if you, if you want to take a stab at him. Um, the other guy I kind of wanted to touch on very quickly was Bryce Wilson. He's a little bit undersized, um, but he's got, I think a really underrated slider, a two plane slider. That's beautiful that I've seen some tape of. And I love as a whole, um, and I'm interested, too, because, you know, we were talking about Anthopolis with Stroman kind of buying into mm. guys a little bit smaller. I'm interested to see if if Anthopolis looks at Bryce Wilson and kind of sees a little bit more in there than others have. And then the other guy I want to touch on very quickly, and then I'll pass it back to you two to kind of clean up the bottom half of this list here, was Ricardo Sanchez, who, Jason, you brought up really early on. And I, I didn't think we were going to talk about him at all. I thought he could be kind of a wild card at the end I'd bring up. But this kid's pretty nasty. You know, they got uh, some newcomers, an old angel prospect, and this guy's an old angel prospect, too. but obviously you know he's he's shown some relative improvement he had a, like a three four start stretch this year that was dominant to some extent and the thing is with him is that he's got three legitimate in that 50-ish window pitches I don't think any of them are going to end up plus plus but the fact that he's got three right now his mechanics are clean and he's got good control overall for a kid this young um I like him a lot and I, I mean if you're looking for like a dirt 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 cheap prospect in this system that a lot of people probably don't know about I, I, Ricardo Sanchez, I think is a great arm to kind of stash on a super deep team, but uh, I'll kick it back to you guys. I'm not sure if there's anyone else in the list we want to touch on. I know we kind of didn't touch Tukey, Tukey, the Mr. Inconsistent Tukey, although his curveball, I think oh, still he's people, coming up. People still tell me <laughs> curveball is one of the best, like in the minors and you still hear that kicking around, even though it's terribly inconsistent as a whole game to game, year to year, pitch to pitch for him. But, uh, but yeah, Kyle Muller too, you know, we got, we got Minter on this list who could close. Um, there's a lot of guys here. I mean, we got we're probably already over the hour mark, I'm sure. But oh yeah, we are. Guys, any guys particularly you guys want to hit on that are deeper on this list, like a Ricardo or something like that, or a Bryce Wilson, who I'm sure I've seen up probably a little bit more on lists. Ralph, take it over. One guy that I wanted to sort of hit on, I think we can sort of group all these guys together. We see the list here. Um, is is Tucker Davidson, uh, a left-handed starter? He was 21. Had a really good season um, at at high, uh, excuse me, at, at low A. 
Um, another guy like Bryce Wilson, I think, you know, sort of came out of nowhere. Uh, the stuff is there. I think there's maybe some pen risk as well. But from a number standpoint, mechanic standpoint, there's there's not a lot to, to, to dislike with Davidson. I didn't watch any of his full starts this year. It's mostly sort of scouting, reading, looking at the numbers, and then and then some YouTube scouting as well. So there's there's no red flags there. I don't know if, if Jason had seen any any of uh, Davidson, but he's a guy that I think you could pick up in first year player drafts because he's uh, not necessarily widely owned. Uh, he he kind of fits, fits the mold of 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 what Coppolella did before uh, before he before he really uh, screwed the Braves, I think the one thing that he did well was he was able to identify and target uh, pitchers with pitchability. Sure, Wentz can throw 96, but his ability to take off of his fastball and command the other three pitches is what makes him great. Bryce Wilson doesn't blow you away with the fastball, controls the slider, pounds the zone, comes after you. Tucker Davidson's the same guy um, from the left side. In, in that Rome rotation comes after you uh, pounds the zone does not give free passes away and has enough stuff to put you away. Once he gets ahead in the count, you know, um, same thing with Ian Anderson, all the, well, Ian Anderson didn't have that control, but he was more, more on pure stuff, but you know, the Braves really built this system and, 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 and all of those pitchers with the idea in mind that they can be, rotational guys because they can control three pitches and they can <clears throat> they can uh, efficiently use their their innings to get deeper into games without running the pitch count up through the fourth third fourth inning and they can get you get you out third time through the order I like Davidson I think Davidson would be a guy that we could see start off at the Florida State League um, where I think Winston Wilson could have a chance to start off in double a um, I could see Davidson and Anderson heading up the the uh, Florida Fire Frogs rotation, though, in high A. Uh, Toussaint, I love Tukey. I'm going to go down with Tukey. I did a piece on Tukey this summer. Um, there's good Tukey and there's bad Tukey. Ultimately, the 70 fastball and the 70-grade curveball, I think, is going to make him a pretty awesome reliever. I just don't see him ever harnessing his command enough to be a, a reliable rotation piece, not in this rotation, not with these guys that he's competing with. Um, but as a reliever, I really like him. And I, and I think that's probably where he's going to, I think that's where he's going to end up because he was, he looked awful in Arizona. <laughs> and one of, and one of the great names, I think the 80 grade name is what really pushes Tukey over the edge for a lot of people. One of the other yeah. guys I wanted to ask you about Jason, and I feel like he sort of gets lost in the shovel in the shuffle. And he's a bit more of a project than some of the other guys he got drafted with that, of course, being a big left-handed starter, that would be Kyle uh, Muller or Mueller, depending upon how you like to pronounce his name. I'm going to say it's Kyle Muller. Um, but either way, you know, compared to Anderson Wentz and even Wilson, who were all in that draft class, um, he's sort of been taken along a little bit slower, only through 47.2 uh, innings this year. Um, the numbers weren't great, but I, I, you know, big fastball. I, you know, he's still working on the on the, on the secondaries, the breaking stuff. Um, did you see any of Muller and, and sort of what's your what's your take? Uh, I didn't see Muller, but from everything that I've read from him, he has the potential to be the best of anyone in that draft class that was with Wentz, Anderson, and Wilson. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, 
I think it's telling, though, on how the Braves actually value him, the fact that they started him a little bit slower uh, than some of the other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that also tells you, you know, what you need to know about the Allards and the Sorokas. What do the Braves really think of them? The fact that they would challenge them in double-A as teenagers uh, the way they did, and they would challenge Wentz and, and Wilson in full-season A-ball the way they did, but Muller being that same age, is held back a little bit. Ian Anderson, while he was on that Rome team, was still held back a little bit in their in in their innings. So I like him, um, uh, but I do think that it's telling that he's kind of fallen behind those guys. When a lot of the scouting reports I read after the draft uh, during the draft was he could be the best of the four. Interesting. That's good stuff. And uh, I think one other pitching prospect that was very high on a lot of people's lists last year. Everyone had him as sort of a dynasty and a prospect sleeper. That, of course, being uh, Patrick Weigel or Patrick Weigel, if you're from uh, anywhere in, in, in Western Europe. Um, but he obviously had Tommy John surgery, was unfortunate. This kid, you know, sort of was a, a, a scrappy guy, uh, later round pick that sort of had to work his way up. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Where does his future lie? Do we think he comes back in the pen um, he's probably not going to pitch, I would imagine, until the end of 2018. Lance, what are your thoughts on Weigel? I know you, you were a fan. Yeah, Weigel's interesting. I'm not sure, again, on the chaos side, and I'm not really sure as a whole when we see him and how we see him and how Anthopolis deals with some guys that might be a little mm. bit more injured in their system. Um, the control wasn't amazing. The strike out the walk wasn't fantastic. But, I mean, there's something there to some extent, I think. Um, 23, already got up to AAA and stuff, so... That's interesting to me. Jason, did you see him at all? Uh, no, I didn't see Weigel. Uh, I think where he fits, it's it's kind of relative to, to how he returns. Um, there was talk that he could crack the rotation last year uh, had he not gotten hurt uh, in Atlanta. So wow. <clears throat> I guess we'll just have to see how he bounces back from injury. But the Braves have no reason to rush him, and he's still young enough to to where we can take some time. I wouldn't give up on him if, if I was in a dynasty league that didn't have any sort of roster limitations on, on guys that I could stash in the minors. Um, yeah, but I, I, I guess we have to take the wait and see approach, but the, definitely the buzz was that he could be in Atlanta in 2017 had he not gotten hurt. So, yeah. And I think that's what was, what was unfortunate. I had him sort of pegged to be a guy that could get, you know, at least uh, a couple months up in the major leagues and make some starts and, at least be serviceable from a ratio standpoint. Um, before we wrap this up, we're going to do a, a rapid fire game at the end, but can we do a little catcher talk? We have a few catcher prospects here that I think are, are all interesting to varying degrees uh, for what they are. Those three I sort of grouped together here being uh, Brett Cumberland, who is an on-base machine with a little bit of pop and a very creepy porn stash. Um, uh, w- Willem Contreras, um, or we could say William Contreras. He is a uh, brother of Wilson Contreras of obviously Cubs fame and, uh, whatever, you know, he's on that makes him so insane behind the plate. Um, I don't know if William is the same. Uh, he's probably the best offensive, uh, catching prospect of this group. And then, uh, a draft pick from this year being, uh, Drew Lugbauer, who is just an absolute masher like sea ball, hit ball, caveman style. Mm-hmm. Um, he is uh, probably not going to stick behind the plate. Uh, real quick, Jason, what are your so- thoughts on these three guys? I think Contreras has the highest upside. And I think Contreras, if you're in a, in a deep dynasty league, he's available in a lot of them. Uh, go get him. Uh, 
the, the you know, however your, your league uh, allows you to pick up minor leaguers, I think he's worth stashing. Uh, if you do any first-year player drafts, <clears throat> um, I took Drew Lugbauer in the sixth round of mine in a 24-team league. Uh, I think the power plays at catcher. Um, I don't think he stays at catcher. Uh, but for a fantasy dynasty aspect, uh, you know, a power bat that, that might be an asset that I can use to acquire other players. Um, Cumberland's an interesting guy. I, I saw him in, in Rome. Um, I think I saw him in Rome. Anyways, I saw him somewhere, and uh, and uh, I don't know if his bat's going to play enough. Um, I don't know if the power's there. I do like his ability to to work the count. He's a little bit, you know, older than some of these guys at 22. Um, so I'd like to see what he does next year in Florida, or if they uh, if they get aggressive with him and promote him to Double A. Um, you know, but Cumberland's a decent prospect. I, I don't think he's he's probably ever going to be a guy that cracks a top 100 and and probably doesn't doesn't really, in my mind, sniff top 12 in the Braves. So where I think Contreras will. Yeah, and I think we've we've sort of always heard that. Do you have any uh, any hot scorching hot catcher takes, Lance? Other than uh, Drew, I don't know if you've if you have seen like Brett Cumberland's uh, creepy porn stash. It is it at is least a 70 grade. It is at least a 70 grade, and, and, and it might be 80 in terms of the creep factor. One Gray Albright, the proprietor of our uh, site here, Razball, would be um, maybe even jealous of, of Cumberland's mustache. It is, uh, it is creepy and still luscious at the same time. Um, do you have any hot catcher takes, though, Lance? No, I, I think these guys kind of all meant together to me. Cumberland probably stands out the mm. most, uh, not because of the stash, but the OBP and the fact that he's a little more advanced level-wise and age-wise. You don't see a lot of young, young, young catchers come through, and you, and you got Contreras at 19, and Lugbauer is just a little bit younger. But uh, Cumberland's probably the guy that sticks out. More interested in either of your guys' takes, Minter the lefty uh, has had mm. health problems for the most part of his career, but two pretty good pitches the slider can hang. Um, I like that pitch a lot, personally, from what I've seen, but – um, do you think that they actually would push towards a lefty closer if, say, Vizcaino struggles? I'll pass this to you, Jason, quick. Uh, yeah, I think I think Mentor is, is depending on size of league, if your league use holds, grab him. Um, if you're in a 12-team league, keep him on your radar. Uh, I think he's probably going to be maybe the next guy in line in that bullpen. I think being a lefty with his stuff um, – Snicker already started using him in high leverage situations last year when he got called up with a cup of coffee. I have no reason to think that he won't throw him right in the midst again. The Braves have nobody in that bullpen. Um, if you're in a dynasty league, trade for him. Um, if you use saves and holds, any any sort of combination that rewards you having a middle reliever or a late inning guy that's not a closer, get him. And if you're not in those leagues, keep him on your radar because – I could see Vizcaino being moved. I think that he's got some value, um, if not in the offseason at the deadline. I do think that Minter will end up closing. That's my hot take. Minter's the closer by the end of the year. I think the, same, oh, I, I think the same thing. I have the same hot take. I, uh, I even stream Mentor a bit because I play in these RCL leagues, which are redraft leagues yeah. through, through Razball, and it's heavy churn and burn in terms of, um, you know, it's got a start limit but not an innings limit. So I'm just constantly using middle relievers to, to, to bump up my, you know, my ratios, but also, um, you know, all my, my totals. So I love Mentor, and I do think that he's going to end up being the closer. I wanted to close here with a really sort of fun game with, with Jason while we have him on. I know he knows 
a lot of these deep miners prospects. Um, let's play like a word association game. I'm going to throw you these prospects. Give me one word to describe them. You can certainly pass if you haven't okay. seen much of them. So I'm going to start with a guy who didn't get picked in the Rule 5 draft. Um, made some noise with the Rangers. Had a big season with High Desert. Hasn't been the same. Travis Demerit. Uh, first word that comes to mind? Yes. Holes. Holes. Um, as in, as in, as in big, big Swiss cheese-sized holes in his swing. Exactly. Um, uh, Jean Carlos Encarnacion. Uh, tall. <laughs> but I, I guess I need to preface each or, or, or to uh, ex- explain each word. Uh, this, I mean, he's just tall and lanky. lanky. This kid's going to – he's just rangy. Um, I can't believe how big this guy is. Uh, and he, he's 19. He hasn't even filled out yet. I think this guy is going to be a – I think he's going to be a big-time guy to watch. Deep, awesome. fan, deep fan. I love this guy. Loved watching him. And, and he's got a little bit of speed on him. Guy stole seven bases too. So Nice. Uh, Jeffrey Ramos. Carlos Baerga. Awesome. He just uh, looks like him from the right-hand side. It, it just – no, not Carlos. Carlos Beltran. I'm sorry, not Carlos. Oh, Baerga. that's even you, better. You got oh, wow. creepy porn stash in my head, and Carlos Baerga came out. <laughs> no, Carlos Beltran. He he, he just kind of looks like him in the face. His, his kind of setup looks like him. Nice. Uh, Darian Cruz. Uh, no stick. Okay, I'm gonna move on right now and say if a porn stash had a name, it would be Ray Patrick <laughs> Ditter. Ray Patrick <laughs> Ditter. Uh, uh. Pesky. Oh He's man, pesky. that's awesome. <laughs> he should a uh, dinner should be pesky. Anthony Anthony Seymour. Uh Penny. I don't know. Um this guy's good. He's 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 a good Penny. player. Um he's a good player. He he leadoff guy, that's what I would think. Awesome. I'm not gonna say Ricardo Sanchez because I think we've talked enough about him tonight. Um uh Husker Yona. Uh Raw. All right. Freddie Tarnock, super skinny, but Bruce Bruce Zimmerman, uh, uh, pass. Ha! Braxton Davidson. I, I I have a word association with this one, but Braxton Davidson sucks. Oh, bust! I hate him. I took him like a million years ago when he got drafted, and I I just I hate him. I, uh, I couldn't Frank, get him off my that's team. That's a Frank Wren pick. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, Dilmer Mejia. Uh, pass. And then the last one I have here, I haven't seen him myself, is but the name is phenomenal. 85 it's, here, 85 grade. I love that. All right. Ray, Ray Shandal Michelle. <laughs> uh, well, I already used Pesky on, uh, on, on Ditter. He's kind of like a poor man. He, I would say poor man's Ditter. <laughs> poor man's Ditter. That sounds like one of those, like like throwback posters from the eighties and he would just be eating like <laughs> yeah. a really crappy, like half eaten hamburger in a wrapper. <laughs> but on, on that note, why don't we uh, wrap up this uh, very long, but very in depth. I mean, we got medical. We learned that, that I can, I could come up with the name centrifuge on, on the spot. Um, <laughs> I figured out how to say Alex Atropolis's name. And then he um, said it wrong. And, and I just said it wrong. I know. I, I was like, <laughs> yeah. I just, I just, I just butchered that. That was great. I, I didn't learn how to say Alex Anthropolis's name. Uh, he's like five different guys. We, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, and we covered like 
40 Braves prospects now, just from that word association game. I think we talked about 25. I mean, this is this has to be the, a record for the most prospects covered in an episode. Um, yeah, I, I, let's take them out. So, Jason, why don't you let the people know uh, where they could find you and, and what you're doing in the offseason? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jason at the game. Uh, also writing for prospects1500.com. Uh, just want to say Christian Pache, 80 grade defense, Andrew Jones level defense in Ooh. center field. That's my closing. I'll leave you with that. We'll see if he hits, Ooh. but I like yeah, it. I just, I just, I just compared him to Andrew Jones defense. Yeah, I've been a uh, that that I like that. I think I probably undersold it. I said it was good. I didn't think it was that good, but damn, yeah, I'm gonna take that. Take that row with it. Jeez, that's awesome. I don't watch him now. But, uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at, at Lance Brosdow, B-R-O-Z-D-O-W. I run Big3Sports.com, editor-in-chief of Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network over there, writing for Rasball, helping Ra- uh, Ralph out here, got my own podcast, 2-2 Strike Approach, um, a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm everywhere. Just follow me on Twitter. I make sure to push everything through there. So I'll pass it back to Mr. Prospect Jesus. Thank you. That's right. You can find me, Prospect Jesus, on Twitter. I like to be sacrilegious and piss everybody off during the holiday season, but Christmas is back, <laughs> I guess, so really, what does it matter, right? Um, but uh, you know where to find me. I'm on Razzball twice a week. I do my prospect write-ups. I'm doing a system on Sunday. I'm doing these sleeper posts. Uh, I've done Akil Badu. I've done Jorge Guzman weeks before he was traded, uh, which which seemed like it was more evergreen than I even possibly uh, could have imagined um, doing the, the fan tracks uh, baseball show with, with Andy Singleton. We've had some great guests on, including uh, Jake Faria, uh, Dan Savorsky of, uh, uh, that created the Zips projections. And then this last week we had Chris Kusilek, who's a young up-and-comer in the scouting game. He gave us some great information. That's not, uh, I think that's going to be hitting us probably the same time this does sometime on Saturday. So check that out. But uh, thank you guys for joining me. This is another episode of the Razzball Prospect Podcast. Thanks a lot. See ya. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made him 100 years ago. With a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Progressive presents Married to Your Home. I'm disgusting. Oh, house, don't say that. You could live someplace so much better than me. That's not true. Oh, yeah? Look at these uneven stairs. Gross. House, you know I don't care. Ugh, and the squeaky door hinge. I think it's cute. No matter how much you already love your house, you'll love it more knowing you could save big bundling your home and auto with Progressive. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations.